0: Welcome
1: again to the uh, Telephone Town Hall. There's the agenda. We're going to start off with uh, an update from uh, Ed Sitcher and myself. We'll hit some sound offs. We'll do some Q&A and then we'll go into the National Committee updates. We've got a number of uh, committees to include the new Negotiating Committee and all of them are on and ready to do some introductions. So to start off, um, Captain Sitcher, if you would unmute and go ahead and uh, give us a couple minutes for uh, an update from yourself.
2: Hey, how you doing Chris? I hope you can hear me. We're having some technical difficulties down here in the executive office. Look up, uh, we spent the uh, week basically spinning up the negotiating committee. We've got these guys in the building we're uh, we're basically filling their heads with the knowledge about what's happened in the past and we're hopefully going to be preparing for this uh, bod caucus that we're gonna have the sixth seventh and eighth of December. We're going to be down here uh, setting the guardrails up for the negotiating committee. That really summarizes the bulk of the efforts that we had right now. There's, uh, there's also some other issues that are going on right now with the dispatchers and with some of the other organizations uh, over across the street. We're, uh, we'll have the different committees go ahead and update you on that. But uh, I just want to uh, the members to know that right now the focus is almost primarily on getting ourselves and our new committee Spun up to tackle these negotiations. We are not starting over. This is a matter of building on the progress that we've already made.
1: Excellent, thanks, Ed. Uh, Ed touched on the negotiating committee. <clears throat> As I said, we're gonna uh, we're gonna bring them all up towards the end here and uh, uh, have them all introduce themselves. Uh, for anybody who is unaware, last week was the fall board of directors meeting. At that time, every year we re we elect the negotiating committee. That's a minimum size of four. This year, the board elected to put six members in there. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, the path forward with the negotiating committee and the board of directors. Uh, as far as the next town hall, expect probably January. Uh, we're going to skip December, and we'll figure out a time. We'll get that out to the pilot group, and then, as always, if you've got feedback, please send it to the town hall at alliedpilots.org. So, right into the questions. Uh, first one: Why don't we hire professional negotiators? This comes up a lot um, enough to the point that on the negotiating committee's webpage, there's a Q&A section that actually addresses this. Uh, it describes the role of our lead professional negotiator. That's Mark Myers. He's been with APA since 2008, so we have professional negotiators. In addition to Mark Myers, our negotiating department's got two full-time lawyers. They're familiar with the process. They provide continuity across the changeover of the pilot members of the negotiating committee. Like I said, that committee gets elected every year. So it's a good bridge for continuity in there. Uh, Another thing that we've heard is the question has been asked uh, as, why don't we have professional negotiators like Alpha does? So interestingly interestingly enough, uh, somebody sent us this from the Delta MEC. It's an article called Professional Negotiators, White Knights" And... um, I just took an excerpt. So uh, for anybody who's listening on on audio, I'm just going to read this quick excerpt because it it really encapsulates the same thing we do here at APA uh, and and the the question of professional, professional negotiators. So there is no silver tongue, white knight in shining armor, trained professional negotiator to be found anywhere who can persuade airline managements to immediately yield to the demands of their clients. Through the entire history of our profession, contracts containing meaningful advances for our professional lives have only been achieved by strong pilot negotiating committees, backed by unified pilots and supported by qualified professionals. When Alpha speaks of professionals, we mean attorneys, economic and financial analysis, benefit specialists, and other subject matter experts with experience in airline negotiation. An educated, experienced, and elected pilot negotiating committee backed by a unified pilot group and supported by qualified professionals is always better than relying on promises offered by legal mercenaries who are only interested in racking up billable hours. So, uh, you know, obviously, ALPA has the same questions um, that uh, some of our pilots have. We, we do have professional negotiators. Okay, so to the first question here, the next question rather, will the new negotiating committee sign a pledge not to pick up premium while we are in negotiations? So, that's a question you're going to have to ask of individual members of the negotiating committee. I don't know that it's appropriate to, to to take the time here for that. What I can say is that we have parted on the new negotiating committee that the issues of the previous negotiating committee and uh, an individual uh, in particular is picking up premium and the, and the negative feedback that that caused uh, us to get from the pilot group. We've also emphasized that their full focus needs to be on getting us a contract, and ideally, they're only flying as, uh, as needed to maintain proficiency and when the negotiating schedule allows, but ultimately there's not a restriction that we can place on them. Will a non-compete clause be signed by all APA, BOD and negotiating members? So I I will point out that there is an existing non-compete clause within the APA APA constitution and bylaws. Uh, I wrote that last year and it strips APA membership for anybody who leaves an APA position and goes to management within 12 months. Uh, As to whether the board of directors or the negotiating committee members would sign anything beyond that, I can tell you for sure that Captain Sitcher and myself would have no problem doing that, but you would have to ask each individual director uh, and negotiating member.
2: And, of, and Chris, if I could add, you know, yeah, uh, ahead, it, it's been part of uh, my administration to go ahead and, and require voluntary pledges from all the appointments that Chris and I make. But uh, so it was totally voluntary. But every one of those guys on the new negotiating committee signed those voluntary pledges to not go to management. I have them. I gave them to Audra. So they are on board for that, Chris. I just wanted the uh, members to know that. Excellent. Thanks, Ed. Who was responsible for the targeted approach that cost us millions and three and a
1: half years of negotiations? So the, the short answer is targeted approach was a decision that was made by the negotiating committee and the board of directors in spring of 2021. Uh, to clarify, though, it didn't cost us three and a half years of negotiations. We were already two and a half years past the amenable date when that whole process started um in my opinion and obviously the opinion of uh of the board as of uh two two weeks ago i believe um the target approach was the correct decision to make at the time it was get in get a deal get out uh, but it overstayed its welcome uh, hence it being uh um abandoned uh at uh at about two weeks ago
2: yeah, Chris, uh you know add a little more to that i mean yeah uh the the problem wasn't the targeted approach. The problem was getting off the targeted approach. We're in a rapidly changing environment. There are other people that are pattern bargaining right now. Inflation's not the same as it started off. So so let's. Uh, I don't think the targeted approach is the problem. The problem, in my opinion, was getting off the targeted approach.
3: All right. So uh,
2: Ed, this one's going to either go to you or Jim Clark. Why are
1: we not pushing mediation and talking uh, taking a strike vote? Hey, Dave. Uh, Chris.
2: Uh, Dave has his hand up. Yeah, Dave. Dave Paul. I'm sorry we missed you on that last question,
4: Dave. Uh, no, thanks, guys. Uh, all I was going to add is um, I think the term targeted approach also just sort of took on a toxicity all its own. Uh, I, I want to remind everybody, I think we ended up dealing in 19 of our 26 sections of the contract, um, I, I think, where we missed it in the T.A., probably focuses more on scheduling flexibility issues. That's con- contained within Section 15. We we had a bunch of Section 15 stuff in there. So, uh, you know, we're going get wrapped up on the term, the targeted approach. Um, but, Ed, you just said, and I agree with you earlier in your opening remarks, that this is about, fix. you know, building on what we've already uh, uh, um, built up in the targeting approach, make it good enough to get to the membership. But the suggestion that uh, the targeted approach in and of itself was wrong, it, it effectively captured... It it, it was addressing, I I would argue, most of the areas that the membership is focused on. I think we missed some things with scheduling flexibility that we're going to have to nail down and a couple of other things to the idea that we've, quote, lost millions. Uh, The TA that that never got to the membership was uh, industry leading in pay, significant retro significantly enhanced profit sharing plan. So uh, at, at a value of almost $2.2 billion in two years, I, I'm, I'm a little confused over the commentary about how we missed millions. But listen, hopefully, whenever we do get to a TA, it'll be worth even more than what we uh, just uh, bypassed. I just wanted to add that. Thank you.
1: All right, Ed, did you want to take this next one or hand off to Jim Clark? Why are we not pushing mediation and taking a strike vote?
2: <laughs> Yeah, it, thanks, Chris. I'm going to go ahead and work this one backwards because uh, I'm going to let Jim talk to the mediation piece. Uh, Jim Clark, the uh, chief in House Legal, he was, he was uh, tasked to go ahead and start the preparation for mediation. And I'm going to let him speak to that piece. As far as the strike vote goes, and, and I've talked to this before, you know, Delta did it, but Delta's been in uh, at the NMB now for a year. So it's a credible threat. You know, if we want to take a strike vote just as an expression of our frustration with these contract negotiations, that's one thing. But if we want the strike vote to be a credible threat that, yeah, the members want to strike and they're willing to go on strike, well, we've got to do it when we can actually do it. Under the RLA, we're not even close. We haven't reached an impasse. The impasse hasn't resulted in federal mediation, and the federal mediation hasn't. Resulted in in an end game where we can be released and actually credibly strike. I mean, I I love to send it out, say, hey, how many guys want to participate to the strike, and would would strike if we wanted, uh, if we gave them the option, but. Quite frankly, that option isn't even close. We're not even six months from that option. So I would rather, you know, get the press and, and and get the mileage out of that strike vote when we can credibly exercise our ability to strike. And that isn't quite yet. But I'm gonna hand it off to Jim. Jim, can you speak to the NMB, please?
5: Sure. Thanks, Ed. So um as you as you mentioned, the board um <clears throat> a couple of months ago uh a motion to direct that we prepare an application for uh, mediation at the NMB, not to file it, just to prepare it. And that was part of the, the strategy to evaluate the options that we had as we were proceeding with negotiations. Um, that predated the developments that occurred last week with the, uh, the reconstituting of the committee, and uh, it predated the voting down of the TA. So at this point, you know, we are we are going to, as, as you and Chris referenced, uh, we're going to have the caucus at the beginning of November with the board and the new committee. And, uh, you know, after that, we will have further guidance from the board as to what path they want to take. But at this point, uh, mediation is not something that we're going to do, certainly before the caucus. And we will then, you know, confer with the board and see where where they want to go.
1: Thanks, Jimmy. Just one point of clarification: It's early December is going to be the caucus. I think you said no, uh, November. Uh, next question: When the board, when the board of directors voted down the TA, were any of their decisions based on the opinions of pilots outside the board? If so, were were only some of those pilots? Uh, why were only some of those pilots outside allowed to view the TA and not the rest of the pilot group? So, uh, again, I won't speak to the opinions of the board, though they are welcome to chime in. What I would say is that. There was significant feedback from pilots through soundoffs and emails. Uh, at the height of the feedback, we're getting about 400 soundoffs a day. I would estimate that there was somewhere in the vicinity of about 90% of those were, you uh, know, in opposition to the TA. Uh, as to only some pilots being able to view the TA, that's not accurate. Uh, the the a, a draft of the TA or the TA draft rather that did make its way out onto social media. APA had no. Uh, Part of that, we didn't have any control over that. But once that happened and we realized it was out there, President Sitcher included a link to the draft TA uh, in blast he sent out on the 27th of October. So that was six days before the, bo- the board voted on it. So the pilot group was given a chance to view it and uh, give feedback to their reps. What leverage is the board planning on using to achieve a TA? Uh, so I covered this in a blast back in September, and I'll reiterate this. It was called a state of negotiations. And I hit on a couple of points. I'll just read one bullet in there or uh, the, that lead in the sentence. Um, <clears throat> I said, in my opinion, our biggest pressure point lies within something that is entirely controlled by every single one of our pilots the ability to understand and enforce your contract and follow your union's guidance. I listed eight examples. You can see them on the screen. You can go back and read the blast in there. Uh, they hyperlinked previous union guidance that we had put out. So I, I will reiterate. The leverage that we have comes from the pilot group, simply following the contract, uh, adhering to the contract, and following the guidance that you're given.
2: Hey, hey Chris, if, if I could add something too before the BOD sure. members chime in, and, and hopefully they will on this, but you know, there, there's a pay piece to this contract and there's work rules to this contract. I fully believe the pay piece will settle itself. As long as we don't tie our hands at the table by pushing across something as foolish as a cap on our snap-up. That was part of the OTA and one of the reasons why it failed. Delta United, Southwest, we've got, you know, Alaska's pretty much in line with us, but they will go ahead and move forward on pay, and, and Robert Ison cannot afford to pay our pilots less than they pay their pilots if he wants pilots to come to this airline. So I, I fully think the pay piece at the end of the day if if isom is afraid to go ahead and quote unquote get out in front of his skis it'll settle itself but the the work rules are where the magic is at. that's going to require some maneuvering at the at the negotiating table and and that's going to be where guys need to understand and enforce their contract chris
1: all right thanks ed what is our general Excuse me. Strategy going to be going to be going forward in negotiations since the BOD has directed the negotiating committee to abandon a targeted approach. Are we starting all over from square one? Boston Vice Chair Kurt Detzer, I believe you're going to speak to this.
6: Yeah, without going into, you know, strategy, uh, negotiating strategy in public, I think Ed, Ed mentioned this, and that is that uh, we we did a lot of work over the last year or so, and and we're not just going to start from scratch uh, we will build on what we have.
1: All right. Thanks, Kurt. Without a TA or a plan, are we, we are exposed to external events and the loss of time value to money. What is your plan to mitigate these issues? Uh, if, if no board
2: members want to chime in, uh, Ed, did you want to take that? I'm sorry, Chris. I'm having some technical issues here. We got a big echo in here. Uh,
5: all
2: right. Let's see. Line, let's see, line,
5: let's see,
1: line, let's see there we go, uh, sure. I'm gonna and I'm gonna mute you while you figure that out. And uh, Dave Powell's got his hand raised.
4: Yeah. So um, one of my considerations as one of the uh, folks on the board, the minority that voted to send the TA to the membership, is a lived experience in this industry after 23 plus years, where our best laid plans are always tripped up by external events. Uh, for those who haven't been around, in August 31st of 2001, APA leadership marched our Section Six openers across the street to the old headquarters. Two weeks later, 9/11 happened, um, which led to a decade plus of uh, of uh, extraordinary uh, hardship for the industry. 2008, we made 2007. made a little bit of money. We opened in Section Six a year later. The housing bubble collapsed. World financial markets were in upheaval, and then, of course, we opened in. Uh, 2019, early opened, mendable Day to 2020, and then we're uh, uh, tripped up by COVID. So listen, I, we, we have opportunities to capture value in in times of profitability. Not often, at least in my career. So we we want to. I think there is always a risk in in pushing decisions off into the future because there's some there's a, always a risk of something happening. We have chosen a path that I hope allows us to continue to be nimble. To enhance the value of any TA we get to you, and and do it before whatever something in the world, whatever it might be, gets in the way of our best laid plans. So I think we 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 have I, I would hope that we as a, as a, a, in leadership are, are focused on getting to the better deal sooner rather than later. And and again, it gets to the comments Ed made earlier. Let's build on the successes. There were some real achievements in that TA. Let's fix the things that were not fixed in it, and get after it, and hopefully do it sooner rather than later.
2: I yield. Yeah, Dave, I've got I've got to agree with you on that. And I'm sorry this uh once again the echo is coming in here. I'm going to try to get through this. But look, uh there's a risk the longer we drag these negotiations out that we're going to end up in a in a world of hurt because we're going to have another black swan event. We've had some instances over the past 20 years where that's happened. But it's rare that we're in as uh as I guess uh the planets are aligned that we have such favorable times to negotiate as we have right now. And we've taken our beating over the past 20 years. And I think it would be a mistake to go ahead and set a low bar and accept less than we deserve, less than we've worked for, less than we merit because we've been burned a few times in the past. Dave, I absolutely agree with you. If we drag these these, uh, negotiations out for a year or two, the risk of, of a recession, the risk of something happening goes up. But, I mean, we've had analysts come in here and talk to the board. They've talked to the membership. Right now, in the short term, there's there's no predictions that there's going to be a recession in travel. I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine. I don't know what's going to happen with the stock market. I, I can't speak to that. But at some point, if there's there's no risk, there's no reward. So we've got to balance the risks against the rewards. And right now, in my opinion, that last TA needed to be killed at the board level, I think there's a lot more at the table to be gained. But we're not going to start over again, Dave. I agree with you 100. There's some good value in there, especially in some areas like LTD and things like that. We need to build on the momentum that we've that we've established.
1: Thanks, Ed. Uh, so going into this last section, it's gonna it's gonna address uh, the APA Alpha Exploratory Committee. So. Just as a background, uh, for anybody who's not aware, Resolution 2022-25 set forth this process. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. You can find that on the homepage. Go to the quick links. There's a link that says Board Meeting Information. From there, you can go into the Board Resolutions and select the resolutions by year. 2022, go about three-quarters of the way down the page, and and you'll find it. So uh, broadly speaking, there's two parts uh, to this. The first part establishes a merger Exploratory Committee. And I'll just read from the Charter Statement of it. Purpose is to consult with ALPA representatives and other relevant individuals to investigate issues that may need to be addressed in the event the board elects to pursue a merger with ALPA in the future. Uh, Also within language, it spells out that there will be a minimum of three and a maximum of five members. They are selected by the board in accordance with our normal policy manual procedures. So it's the same way that we elect the negotiating committee. the, once that committee is um, is elected, they will brief the board no no less than at every uh, scheduled board meeting. So this is just kind of a graphical layout of it. Uh, the first part has uh, partially been done. So we've adopted 2022-25. What that did was it it entered into the policy manual language for a standing committee that that exploratory committee. Uh, within that, there is the language like I talked about of getting a minimum of three or a maximum of five members. The language of the resolution requires that to happen no later than the January Board of Directors meeting. A little bit later, there's a question that um, we'll address possibly doing this during the December meeting. Uh, From there, they will provide reports, uh, again, every uh, scheduled board meeting. The final report will be presented no later than the spring 2023 Board of Directors meeting. At that point, that exploratory committee will automatically be sunset, and all of that language will automatically be removed from the policy manual. So the next step would then be, if uh, if it was recommended to um, go to this next stage, we would then go into the negotiation process. So by a vote of two thirds, the, the board had uh, has to vote to pursue a merger. If that happens, then similar to the previous process, language that is existing in the resolution will be inserted into the policy manual regarding the negotiate, the merger negotiation committee. That process is very similar to what they did for the exploratory committee. So it'll be three to five members, the selection, uh, the election rather process will be in accordance with the policy manual. They'll provide regular updates to the board at uh, uh, every scheduled board of directors meeting. And then at, a, um, at at some point, they would present a merger agreement to the board of directors The board, by a majority, not two-thirds, but by a majority, would have to adopt that negotiated merger agreement, and it would then go to the membership, who, by a majority, would have to vote on that merger agreement. So that's a summary of the resolution Now, into questions. Um, Will the board follow through with the July motion to invite the ALPA president to speak to the APA board of directors and membership? So here's a disclaimer. We've got a couple of directors on uh, on here. None of them speak for the board. Uh, ultimately, that's up to the board. I see that Dave Powell uh, well had his hand raised. If, if there's anybody that wants to chime in.
4: Yeah, but this is Powell. I, I'm going to leave my hand up and, and defer to other board members. I don't want to keep chiming in, but I'll, I'll share my opinion if anybody wants it after I, I let others okay. speak up.
6: Yeah, I, I, uh, it's Kurt Detzer, Boston. I, I, I'd be happy to. You know, that that is a... That was a great idea to begin with. It just wasn't timely at the time. And um, I, I think we will end up uh, speaking with him at uh,
2: some point in time. Okay, uh, let's see here. Yeah, and, and yeah, Chris, if, Chris I can, if I can, go ahead. turn that volume down. Uh, look, the, the uh, ALPA is going through a leadership change right now. As you know, Pete uh, is going to leave and uh, Jason Ambrosi's is taking over in January. By that time, we should have a little more uh, substance to the Alpha merger committee, so I think it might be even a little premature to bring Jason over just yet. And if we bring uh, Pete Joe to Pete uh, over right now, Joe Joe right now is basically sunset. He's the he's the lame duck president. So so let's I think that maybe you know I would try to talk the board into it. it's going to be their decision at the end of the day. But I would try to talk them into bringing over Jason who's going to be at the helm for a whole lot longer if this merger process continues, because he's going to be the guy that affects it. So I would ask them to please just take a deep breath. We'll invite Jason over once he's the guy, once he's in the seat. But uh, I think it would be in the board's best interest, in my opinion, to go ahead and delay that a little.
1: Thanks. I see a note here from, uh, from Jim. If I misspoke, the that merger committee would be elected no later than the January SBUD. There was a reference to December. That's a possibility, but it has to be no later than January. Next question. How will the board conduct membership education for the APA Alpha Merger Exploratory Committee? Again, any of them can uh, chime in. I don't believe that a decision has been made on that. Uh, presumably, the merger committee briefings are going to be an open session. Those can then be relayed to the membership. Uh, Kurt Detzer, I see you got your hand up.
6: Yeah, you know, I, I spoke with a couple of people today about this, and they, there's really two steps in here that uh, have been have uh, part of the process, one of them being the exploratory committee goes over and gets some information at that point. And, and granted, yes, Chris did speak to this, and that that is just me as one board member speaking about it. We are now, as as the board, discussing it privately, but we haven't we're not convened to make decisions on this. But uh, I, I, I see it personally as a two-step process, the first one being the report of the Exploratory Committee. And then uh, once the negotiated merger committee uh, is is um, enacted, if they are and, and we proceed down that route, then there will be another piece of that. I, I'd like to think that uh, we get the information out properly. Um, it's it's important that the membership knows about it. It's important that the membership hears it and uh, without speculating. Thanks, yield.
1: Right. Thank you, Curtis. How will the membership be informed informed about progress of the AP Alpha merger exploratory committee? Will the committee be able to provide communication to the membership? So the first part of that question is the same as, as the previous. Um, the, but to answer the second part, will the committee be able to provide communication? So they're a national standing committee. They should be afforded the same Abilities as other committees, and that includes the ability to send out comm blasts, um, there would need to be a consensus among the committee in terms of the content of that, and then that has to be approved by both the President, uh, as well as legal so they don't have the ability, uh, an autonomous ability to send blasts no committee has that, but they will be afforded the same um, abilities as other standing committees. Uh, why did APA change the alpha resolution again Boston vice chair Kurt Dettcher would you like to speak to this and when you're done maybe Jim Clark can address the CNB issues I, I, sure Th- thank, thanks Chris uh
6: so frankly it was a compromise the the the, the initial and, and and with that said all resolutions require work uh whether whether it be semantic or otherwise um the original resolution was out of order frankly it was uh uh it was written if, with giving authority to the committee that they were not authorized to have. And so it had to be changed up. It, it was, uh, we worked through a process, the drafting committee worked through part of the process, and then we got to the plenary and, and voted it up 20 to zero. So, so the process worked and, um, and, and I, and I think it's a good resolution. It, it, uh, it marches a process forward. And that's, uh, I yield.
1: Thanks. Uh, LaGuardia Chair, Larry Cutler. Hey Larry, you got to unmute.
7: Hey, I just want to add to what Kurt said there about the resolution. Um, you know, the absolutely the drafting committee felt that we followed what the survey said uh, that we Phil Comstock presented to us. Um, there were there were a couple of key takeaways from that survey. Uh, the biggest thing being that uh, there was strong interest in exploration, but not necessarily merger at this point, and two that. There was no real urgency to the process. And so the resolution reflects exactly what the survey said. Uh, I believe that it uh, represents exactly what the membership uh, expressed. Thanks. I yield.
1: Thanks, Larry. Uh, let's see. How will you select the candidates for the APA Alpha Merger Exploratory Committee. Will this be prioritized at the December BOD meeting? Larry, did you want to take that?
7: Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, I, I'll take that. Uh, I I do sit on the board steering committee, and uh, we, this is will be a process under Section Four Point Zero Five of the policy manual, which everybody can look at. Uh, it's it's similar to the way we uh, elected the negotiating committee, um, and uh, you can you can find the the policy manual there on the APA webpage. Uh, also, uh, we're going to take. Uh, nominations at this point, or take, I'm sorry, take applications this point on the National Committee Volunteer Portal. Um, so if you go to the APA webpage and hover over committees with your mouse, you'll see the National Committee Volunteer Portal. Uh, by tomorrow, we expect that uh, the DIT folks are working on getting a, a link set up for this particular Alpha Exploratory Committee. So we should be able to uh, accept applications there. Um, and also, I want to point out that the, the there is video available on the PA web page of the process from the fall board of directors meeting where we elected the negotiating committee. So, if anybody wants to view the videos of the fall board meeting, they can see the election process uh, in action. Uh, we're still determining, as a board steering committee, whether or not we'll have further screening, perhaps a video questionnaire or a, a written questionnaire. That that process will be finalized over the next couple of days, and uh, the goal is to have this done at the December SPA, the December Special Board of Directors meeting. So, uh, we we realize that this process is important, and we want to move it forward so we can get that committee seated and uh, and get them to work. Thanks, I yield.
1: Thanks, Larry. Okay, so on to a couple sound offs. First off, just a reminder of how sound offs are processed. So these things get batched up into a single file. to get sent out at 3 a.m. the following day. So just a couple examples. We had sound offs that we received. Uh, that came to us, the board of directors, the national officers, and several committee members saying, hey, pass the alpha resolution. We were getting these on Saturday after the board had um, had adjourned because they were sent on Friday. Similarly, we were getting things Wednesday morning that said, hey, put this person on the negotiating committee. Well, that, that election happened the day prior. So if there's a time-sensitive issue, don't send it via a sound office. You can email or uh, contact your reps directly. So the first question, when will the one and a half percent dues be ended and returned to one percent? So before we get to the, the answer with that, um, or kind of a solution, just realize that for the Constitution and bylaws, the dues can't be ended until after a CBA is ratified, at which time the remaining uh, funds get reimbursed to the membership. However, that said, and I was hoping I would have Jill Collins on here. I don't see him, but uh, I do believe Pat Clark is on. Uh, So R-2022-36 passed last Friday at the board meeting. There is a 100-day abeyance period before this goes into effect, but effectively what it says is um, when the amount of the additional dues, the deferred dues uh, collected exceeds a specified amount, then the collection of the dues will be paused until it goes back to, uh, down to a certain amount. So there was some coordination that had to be done with this. Pat, uh, since Joe isn't here, do you want to talk at all to this?
8: Uh, sure, thanks, Chris. You actually covered it quite well. Um, the resolution pretty much defines when we will turn off or suspend the collection that half a percent. It's tied to something that's already in the policy manual uh, and it provides the window of when we would stop the collection and when we would turn it back on i want the numbers are don't mean much but uh the earliest as you indicated uh would be uh a hundred days because of the advance
0: okay
1: thanks pat uh and then the last one what is ap doing about all the tsa random screenings mm-hmm. ed i'm going to ask you to chime in here for, for uh a sec on this. So we've sent a few blasts out about this. Uh, three, in fact, the most recent one highlighted what we've been doing all the way up to the TSA administrator, David Pekoski. This is also on the front page of APA, and it's got a link both to the article as well as the KCM report, which we need folks to um, to fill out. Ed, did you want to talk about uh, the efforts that you had?
2: Up at yeah, Capital yeah sure. Uh, yeah. Th- thanks, Chris. We got our money's worth out of CAPA, uh, when we uh, went up to Washington a few weeks ago, because we sat down with uh, Admiral Pekoski and we, we expressed, I I expressed very forcefully our concerns with the secondary screenings. Uh, There's some stuff they're not sharing with us. I don't know what that is, he took it up to the classified level for us, but we can't of course uh, see the rest of it. What precipitated this was apparently pilots bringing contraband through the checkpoints and no kidding Uh, Even uh, one of ours brought a gun through, unbeknownst to her, and this started the whole ball rolling on this uh, secondary screening thing. Uh, The point of the matter was, though, uh, uh, we calculated that our 15,000 pilots went through known crew member about 2 million times minimum the prior year, and we figured out how much time that cost us, and we were in the millions of minutes. So you know, our, my point with Admiral Pekoski was, hey, look, because of a couple of omissions, we've ended up costing my, you've cost my members almost two million minutes in additional time going through screenings. He agreed without killing a whole lot of time in this issue. What he said is he's going to bring us back to Washington for a round table so that we can we can talk about this. Guys, look, out of the over two million times we went through known crew member last year. Seventeen of our members got their privilege to go through known crew member revoked, and most of theirs, those were omissions. Guys traveling international that forgot. Even if you're on personal business going international, you can't use known crew member. There was a small, small, small fraction that were really uh, egregious offenses, like the gun in the purse of uh, one of our captains, and there was a couple of cases that I considered where guys got their privileges suspended. For what I consider to be minor issues, like one guy dragged his kid's car seat through, it wasn't his personal effects, so they suspended his privileges. So, um, Chris, that's where we're going. We're going to have a roundtable with uh, with Pekoski up in Washington soon. Larry Rooney, our Kappa president, is trying to set that up. I'll be able to update you more on that. It irks me to get screened. You know, I, I think it's 50%. By the way, that 2 million minute estimate was based on Pekoski's estimate of 30%. And most of the guys, you guys know, you're getting random a whole lot more than 30%. We used his lowball number. I'd estimate we're closer to 50%. Anyway, Chris, I'm going to give it back to you. Okay, thanks, Ed. On to uh, benefits. So we've got a few
1: folks here from benefits. I believe uh, Captain Kerry Berkeley, are you going to speak to this?
9: Well, actually, um, Brian's going to start out talking uh, first there.
1: Okay, Brian Bell.
10: Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> hey, uh, Joanne and Marcy are the gurus. When it comes to benefits as far as PMA and pod, obviously it falls under the BRAB lane there, but they've got a little presentation. They're going to exp- uh, explain to you, if everybody on the call, why it's so important. Uh, when you fly with people, You know, tell that, the, the FLO or tell the captain that these things are really important from a personal experience, you never think you're going to go on an LTD, but I did. And these are two things that really saved me. So, uh, Marcy, Joanne, take it away.
9: Hey, this is Carrie um, uh, um I just wanted to, uh, can you go to the next uh, slide, Chris?
1: Yeah, you should be on the PMA slide, Carrie. Okay. Oh, great.
9: Perfect. Thank you. Um, so it's very important, you know, just like um, Brian was saying that, you know, we need to talk it up in the cockpit. When I when I started with American, you know, everybody ca- came, you know, came in the cockpit and said, hey, let's talk about, you know, what kind of insurance you need to get. And and the big thing was the APA insurance. And, and we, we'd like to make sure that, you know, in those times of need that you have it. You know, we have the short term disability, which is the PMA. Um, it has a f- few things on there for those that are on just on the call and don't see the slides here. You know, elimination period is 60 days or exhaustion of your designated sick time because um, you can actually save some of your sick time. And then it, you get it for 12 months. And then the coverage. But, but just, this is a really important. This is the foot stomper. You have to get in at your five year points of cumulative service service with the company. Um, because some people try to get in afterwards, and unfortunately, um, you can't get in. Um, so um, so anyway, that's uh, the big thing. We just really like our captains, our first officers to talk to the other pilots, because you don't want to be the last one to be asked to dance on this, you know, because, you know, you need it, definitely, so... And onto the the long term policy, you know, is the pilot occupational disability that kicks in after twelve months. So, um, you know, your L, you know, this is this is what's going to supplement. I've heard people call this the forty percent. This is this is the part that that uh, supplements your LTD from the company. And people get these terms, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, confused at times. So. This will supplement your 60% that you get from the company, which we call the LTD. But the 40% that you're missing would come from your pilot occupational disability. But you, you can, you've you got to get in that plan as well. And then that lasts for 60 months. It can last longer than 60 months if you get on to uh, even longer disability if you get Social Security. And, and then um, that that's, uh, also has an elimination period of 12 months. Twelve months and exhaustion of your sick time. So anyway, I just like for everybody to talk about it, and it's it's a big highlight. So, Marcy, Joanne, uh, anything I missed or didn't cover on on the items there? Any anybody want to throw something in there?
10: Yeah, Carrie. one thing I would like to detail with you on there? It's hopefully everybody on this call, and it looks like we have over seven hundred pilots on this call, which is great. Is go on the website, the APA website. We have what's called the LTD income calculator. It's a blue bar there. And what this is going to show you is it's going to take into account your vacation days, uh, how much sick time you have and how much sick you want to use. It's going to say your C position, years of service, whether you have PMA and what it's going to do. It crunches all these numbers. It's going to spit out a diagram. And what this graph or what this bar bar will show you is, you know, God forbid you do go out on LTD. It's going to show you in numerical form which pilots like to see you know images it's going to let you sleep at night and say hey here's what I have and then you can also take it the next step further and go wow okay I'm not really prepared for this based on my pay rate now how do I fix that and that's where you have all the great staff members at APA the benefit staff they're going to walk you through this stuff and say hey here's what you probably need.
8: This is
11: Marcy. I just want to add, to that when you get to the uh, designated sick and all-vacation, one of the uh, questions that we get often is, what is the all-vacation? So, it includes accrued vacation. So, just make sure that you call our benefits department should a situation occur and you need to go on disability, and we can walk you through all of the steps, um, as our goal is going to be to have you file sooner rather than later.
1: Thanks, Marcy, Brian, and uh, Carrie. And the numbers are there. I'm sorry, the uh, the number and the email are there for the benefits department. Next up, membership committee, Captain Clint Early.
12: Greetings, Greetings everybody. I just wanted to real quick, uh, was asked to address the uh, uh, cancel of, of the classes at the end of the year. Uh, American Airlines held 43 classes this year, uh, the last one being the November 30th. Uh, the, later this month. To date, we've hired 1,793 pilots. Uh, if we estimate the class in uh, November being about 35, that's going to be 1,828 pilots. So that's about uh, about where we stand. The reason why we cancel, or I say we, the reason why the company canceled the three classes is is right now there's about a three month gap between Indoc and Uh, start of aircraft training they were attempting to draw that down into something more reasonable Uh, they're targeting about five weeks is where they'd like it to be so that's why they uh, 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 are canceling those classes to uh, try to get that number down the plan for next year is an average of four classes a week or correction four classes a month for a total of 48 classes and they're targeting about 45 a class if you do the rough numbers that's 2160 pilots my guess is it's going to be closer to 2000 um, That's, I think, we're about what they're looking at for about 2000 um, There's a strong rumor that uh, pilots are leaving us to go to the major, or to uh, United or to Delta and stuff. We've had about 30 pilots leave the company this year, uh, some by choice, some by not. And we've hired exactly 30 from Delta, Southwest, and United. So that's a pretty much a wash right there. That's all I got, Chris.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Clint. Next is the hotel committee FO Carmen Thompson.
11: Thank you, Chris. I was asked to just a couple of hot topics and kind of guidance going forward from the NHC. The first one is booking in progress. I think we've been hitting this for several months now and many of you have heard it. But for those of you that have not, we do not recommend that you depart with booking in progress. We still, despite our messaging, are seeing debriefs from crews describing a hellish night after they choose to depart with booking in progress. Basically, booking in progress is a placeholder. Simply put, you have no hotel room. AA has proven to be very motivated to secure a room when crews hold their ground and choose to have the problem solved before pushing back. The NHC highly recommends you get a room before you go. Focus on flying, not the fact that you have nowhere to stay once you arrive. The crews that choose to wait until they are done flying often wait hours to secure room, and the motivation is just not the same for the company once the metal is moved. If you see booking in progress prior to your last leg, we recommend you make one call only. You've got a few options here. The first one is call the dispatcher. Notify them that you need a room before you can depart. I personally recommend just sending them an ACARS message here. Second option is to call the IOC duty pilot, and then option three, for those of you who love to wait on hold and listen to elevator music, call the hotel and limo desk. We recommend that you only depart with booking in progress if a chief pilot calls you and specifically instructs you to do so. That takes us to BizHero. APA strongly recommends that you do not use it. BizHero has proven completely unreliable. Anytime it is activated, we receive de- debriefs from crews who have regretted doing so. Basically, there are a lot of issues with BizHero. A big one that we see is that it provides crews with a confirmation for a room and they arrive at the hotel and the hotel has zero inventory. Uh, we also see often where the hotel, um, the company credit card that they're processing through BizHero doesn't uh, work once they arrive at the hotel. These are just a couple of the issues that we see. Um, But many of these issues end up taking hours uh, to resolve. If it comes to it, we recommend you secure your own hotel room directly from a hotel or from a brand app and expense it rather than using uh, Biz Hero. I get it. You're not a travel agent. You should never have to secure your own room. However, when AA fails you, sometimes that is the path of least resistance. I certainly don't want you spending the night in the airport. I don't want you spending the night on the plane. JCBA 782 says pilots, when other than the regular layover, shall receive reasonable actual expenses for lodging consistent with the lodging conditions encountered. When AA fails to provide you a room, it is your contractual right to secure your own room and expense it to the company. You determine suitability. Sometimes, if you have, say, a 7 p.m. departure the next day, you may need to actually book two hotel rooms, um, two hotel nights, in order to accommodate that late checkout. You can ask the hotel if they can accommodate the checkout first and only book one room, but if they can't, there is no reason that you need to check out of your room early. If you need a second night, get a second night. File the expense after the sequence through the flight office with Snap Concur. And if you have any issues with the reimbursement, please reach out to the NHC. This is important. The NHC has had 100% success Getting pilots reimbursed for hotel and transportation expenses when we have had to engage on the issue. Do not let this fear, the fear of being reimbursed, stop you from getting a good night's rest. Next topic, surveys versus debriefs. The 30-second survey refers to the hotel trans survey that pops up on your APA app after every layover. We rely on your survey data. De- data to identify trends and systemic issues with hotels and transportation companies. We use that data to determine hotels that are working well for you and hotels that aren't and we probably wanna get out of um, before we sign another contract. We appreciate your time filling out those surveys. We typically receive about a thousand surveys a day, sometimes more. So thank you to all of you that are participating. Debriefs are used for specific issues that, you are, that arise on your layover or that need to be addressed with the company. We review those debriefs every single day. They are forwarded to the company for quick follow-up. They reach out to the hotel for resolution and then they get back to us. The debrief link can be found at the top of every single APA hotel webpage, or you can go to the APA quick links, file report sound off hotel debrief. Finally, the NHC developed a QRH last year that covers about 95% of the issues that you potentially could experience on your layover. The document is pretty encompassing. It can be accessed now through the APA app, go to the hotel web pages on the APA app, and it's below the alphabetical c- city code list in bright red, you cannot miss it. If you ever have any questions that the QRH doesn't answer, you feel like it might not be a debriefable item, feel free to reach out to us directly at hotels-committee at alliedpilots.org. We're always happy to help you navigate these situations. And if you have any questions on my briefing, feel free to reach out to me, C. Thompson at alliedpilots.org. Thanks, Chris.
1: All right, Carmen, thank you so much for uh, for that. Next up, Compass Project, JJ Gonzalez.
13: Hey, everybody, JJ here, Compass Project. Um, we're going to start by saying that we need sponsors. Uh, like uh, Clint mentioned, uh, it's a lot of hiring going on. Uh, about 15% of our pilots have been hired post-pandemic, uh, about 2,000 and, uh, ever since. Um, and uh, anybody interested in volunteer, become a sponsor. Uh, we have a QR code. You can scan on your screen, um, or you can go to our website, alliedpilots.org slash compass. And there's a link uh, that will take you to our form where you can fill out. Uh, there's a short video explaining where you're uh, going to be, your job is going to be as a sponsor. Uh, you can go to the next slide. So, yeah, you watch the video. Um, so, what... what uh, as a sponsor, what you'll be doing is basically uh, is establishing a relationship with uh, the new hire. You will pick new hires based on on your abilities. Uh, there's no minimum or maximum. If you can only work with one, that's that's okay. Um, and and the the purpose of establishing a relationship is to be that first point of contact with the uh, the new hire. Um, whenever they have a niche or something, they'll be calling you. You don't have to know every answer. Uh, you just have to uh, be there. Uh, Get uh, answer the text, phone call. Uh, we have the resources. Uh, we can get you in contact with the training committee if there's an issue with training or, or something else. Um, uh, we have those resources available to you. There's also, we have the, the syllabus, the sponsor syllabus, uh, which tells you uh, when you should be communicating uh, with uh, your new hire. Um, we have templates for email and text, so you don't have to write anything. Then Actually, some of the emails are automated, so you don't even have to worry about that. So um, you just have to be there, you know, available to to answer the phone. It's a great way to volunteer too and, and uh, uh, give back to the uh, pilot group. If you can go to the next slide, so uh, so everybody's aware, we have a, a website, documents, guides in there. Um, it it started a, as a source of information for new hires, but now it's a place where almost every pilot in the company uh, is going to for information. What we do is we provide a a overview of the topic that you're trying to get information on and then uh, within the document, we'll take you to the source document or the committee for more information. Um, There's no, um, uh, we are always welcoming feedback. Uh, It could be from a pilot, it can be from another committee Um, uh, We have some guides that have been added to our library that it comes from requests from a line pilot, like the the qualification report um, or the retirement flight checklist. So anything's welcome, the email to send a request is compassdocs at alliedpilots.org. Again, committee's feedback of uh, the documents we have is uh, highly desirable. Uh, Next slide. So the new guides that we have uh, added so far this year, the retirement flight checklist. This is uh, something for somebody who's uh, retiring. Uh, uh, it was cre- It was actually created by a, a line pilot that uh, had a uh, was it that uh, recently retired, and uh, provided with info of uh, things you need to be aware of or coordinate for your retirement flight. The uh, operational survival guide uh, that was being previously distributed. Uh, uh, from national, I believe, but it's a document that has all the flow charts that you need, uh, cancellation, fatigue, um, anything you can imagine, it's in there. It's uh, It has a lot of navigation and it's, uh, the, the purpose for you to download on your iPad and when you're in flight and you get a reassignment or something happens to you, you have a way to access these documents in, in one place. Um, and the new one, the decoding guide, uh, we put together uh, many FOS uh, codes, uh, REST codes, CCI acronym. Um, it, it's it's uh, ad removal codes. Uh, anything that you would like to search, uh, it's in there, and it includes hyperlinks either to um, um, some documents, some compass document, or FOM references if the, it has to do something with a company. Uh, we also get updated the uh, deadheading guide. Uh, anybody traveling A12 ever wonder? how to figure out if there are seats or not, you know, the mystery about the e-inventory. Um, and actually this came from an, another line pilot uh, on the deadheading guide, you can figure out how to, f- uh, if there are any seats available on the e-inventory and what actually inventory is. So next slide, I believe that's pretty much it. Oh, and vacation bidding support. Um, as we mentioned, there be, uh, with the recent hiring, there will be uh, about 2,000 pilots beating vacation for the first time, so gonna be, uh, it, it's going to be this is unusual. Normally, it, it's a, about 800 pilots or less. So uh, we we're going to update the vacation guide. It's a great place for, for somebody to uh, begin their reading uh, and, and uh, getting information about vacation beating. Um, it has a it's, it's probably one of the few places where you'll find the difference between banking versus floating. Um, and uh, we're going to be providing support uh, for for these pilots uh, for questions. Something that it's, it's usually you know, the basic type of question. When it gets more complicated, we send them to the uh, uh, scheduling committee. But for uh, any, any new hire, anybody with uh, questions, our hotline, 817 302 2401, or email compassproject at alliedpilots.org. And next slide. Uh, I think the questions. Yeah, hey, okay. thanks,
1: JJ. And, and good segue with uh, scheduling committee because they're up next. Scheduling committee, Drew Coleman and Ryan Gertz. We're here, we're here. PBS came out today for December. Everybody's happy
14: with their schedule from what the uh, emails and phone calls that have still not quit coming in. So, yay. Um, just a short thing I want to talk about the be uh, holiday premium pay. Uh, we did look at the November. We've looked at December. I will say it's very uh, mixed results. It depends on the day, it depends on the bid status, and it depends on how much someone likes that holiday or not. Um, Overall, I'd say for November, it was was really good. It did a lot of good change in the month overall as far as pilots being able to get a choice of what they want, which then allowed others that may not want to be assigned that and help them out in that case. Uh, December, it was a little more hit and miss. you know. For the 31st, I'd say it was pretty successful. For Christmas Day itself, it uh, didn't help out so much. The uh, premium days around the 24th and the 26th, around the day of Christmas, uh, was very successful. Um, Ryan, if you want to talk about some of the details you have on here, and uh, we'll go from there. Uh, thanks, Drew. Uh, for coverage
0: dates, uh some bid statuses had an increase, some bid, bid statuses had a decrease. One of the metrics we look at are coverage dates that were uncovered to they get pilots to uh, work those days. This actually was an improvement with the holiday pay. We looked at the top 25% of the bid status, the pilots that really could decide if they wanted to work a holiday or not. Uh, the number of pilots bidding to work on Christmas and New Year's increased compared to 2021. Uh, as well as the first pilot to actually work on Christmas went to more senior pilots. Um, As Drew mentioned, the work blocks around the holiday really saw an uptick. New Year's Eve was not as popular of a holiday to have that off. Pilots were working to either fly through New Year's Eve or try to end on New Year's Eve itself to try to capture the the holiday pay. As well as uh, the coverage dates, Christmas wasn't actually the first coverage date in most bid statuses. The 24th was the first coverage date, and uh, that was predominantly due to the fact that that date has more flying than actually on Christmas Day. So uh, that's all we have. Thanks.
14: One thing I will say is uh, we looked at the top 25% and when we were looking at this, because those are the pilots that are the top 25% in your bid status. They have the, the best ability to pick what they want. So those are the ones that we're looking at. As you go down and you get into certain seniority ranges near the end and the bottom, it it is what it is. It's it's what's left over, if anything, at that point. Then you get into reserve.
2: Hey Drew, uh, if I could ask a question here, please.
0: Uh...
1: Hey Ed, I think you Ed, did you yourself? Hold on. Can you hear us now? I can hear you now. We okay. couldn't hear this question
0: though.
2: Let me move down here. We've got uh, multiple competing microphones here, Chris. I, I just wanted Drew to uh, and, and Ryan to answer the question based on what they saw. Do they think? And I know they they don't have a crystal ball, but do they think the company would be more inclined, based on the the positive, I guess, uh, increase we saw on more senior pilots bidding to fly the holidays, to expand the holiday pay provision? Because as you know, this is just a piece of what we really wanted. And, and possibly get rid of that donut hole around Thanksgiving? If we're, if, if we're going to solve our problems here by incentivizing flying, did it work?
14: So the first part's done, which is the bidding and the awarding of these trips. You, we do see an, a better bidding of the trip, so not avoiding it in, in most cases. But I think it's very holiday-specific. Christmas Day, we didn't see much, if, if any, benefit. Other holidays that we've had so far, we've seen some benefits. So I think it's going to be... Uh, day of. The big key is going to be what happens when the days actually come to be operated. How many people are going to bang out sick because they don't want to work that holiday. So that's going to be the key that the company is going to look at. How many people actually stayed on the trip and worked it as opposed to, oh, I've been assigned this day that I didn't want. And then they, they do some sort of
1: means to get out of it. All right. Thanks to uh, you, Drew and Ryan. Next up, contract compliance.
3: Paul and Ryan, who's speaking? This is Paul Leonardi, and I'm with Ryan Doris. We're representing Contract Compliance. And um, we're going to start off with uh, Q&A like we normally do here in the um, town hall setting. So Ryan is going to read the Q&A, and then um, I'll have some comments thereafter, and then we'll have the answer to that Q&A after the comments. Go ahead, Ryan.
15: Yeah, so we're doing this one on fatigue. Uh, the question this week is, I notify crew tracking that I am fatigued. When can I be rescheduled for further flying? Um, we should have all the, all the answers are up there. Uh, A, during DOTC, each subsequent day of the sequence footprint. B, at the time of the fatigue call, to any other flying outside the footprint of the original sequence. C, at the time of the fatigue call, to commence after fatigue rest. D, during DOTC, each subsequent day of the sequence footprint after releasing the pilot at home base and the conclusion of fatigue rest.
1: All right, so I'm gonna launch the poll here and you guys can uh, continue with
3: your talk. Okay. you can advance to the next one. Thank you, Chris. All right, so issues and trends. Um, you are following the News Digest every Friday. And if you've been doing that at least through uh, the summer, you have noticed that we provide Q and A's at the end of each one of those. And most of the time, those Q&As are driven from things that we're seeing out on the line and reports that we're getting um, and timely things that are occurring. So we tend to include that in the Q&As, and those would be the big hot topic, hot button issues that you're experiencing. Um, Things that always is prevalent here at American Airlines is contactability. You, as a line pilot at American Airlines, know when you are contactable. when you have a responsibility to return a phone call, you never have a responsibility to answer, but when you would have a responsibility to return a phone call to the company, if you're on a day off, if you're on vacation, that's your time. It's not the company's time. You'll get to them when you become on duty again, when you come on duty again, and that would be the reasonable expectation of when you should be talking to somebody at the company. So please remember that reserves as well as line holders. Um, reminder we do we are still doing our four hour and eight hour um contract qu- um, education courses. We're not doing them in December. Uh, we have really tight um schedules and it's difficult for us to get PU during the holiday months, unfortunately. So, expect to see them ramp up again in January. We are trying out a new format with a um town hall like we're doing here. And be on the lookout for a uh, blast coming very soon in the next day or two with dates and times to participate in that uh, town hall style. Um So I'll turn it over to Ryan, and we'll uh, get you the answer. Chris, you got the results up from that?
1: Yeah, hey, I'll bring those up in one second. I do have one question. Uh, this is a holiday um, premium pay in accordance with the LOA. If uh, I don't know if you guys saw this in the chat, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask it here if you put you guys on the spot to answer this. If you're on reserve or line holder, not flying a holiday, but available and wanting to fly premium on days leading up to those designated holidays, will you get the regular premium for the whole sequence and also the holiday pay?
3: If they designate a sequence as premium, it will pay premium. If you're flying on a premium holiday, you'll get the premium for that holiday as well. So it'll be on top of the value of the base sequence. The base sequence will carry the premium value because that's how it was awarded to you. And if you're working on that holiday and it happens to be a premium designated sequence, then you also get the premium holiday pay for the flying that you perform.
1: Okay, thanks. All right, so we will now go to the results. And let me
15: pull this up. How happy everybody was. Good, Um, see, that was the correct answer there. At the time of the fatigue call to commence after fatigue rest, So when you make that fatigue call, um, you are giving the company a time that you're going to be rested and back on duty. And at that time, they should be uh, using one of the four options in our contract in 15K 5A um, to put you back on flying or send you back to base. So either you would deadhead the pilot to base the same duty period, if legal or when not legal. It is mutually agreeable in keeping with the current procedures. Um, You would deadhead the pilot to base following the completion of a rest period. Following rest, assign the pilot to any portion of the original sequence. Following rest, assign the pilot to any other flying within the footprint of the original sequence. Um, this doesn't prohibit crew tracking from reassigning the pilot uh, following the rest period either. That's just something to note there as well.
3: But they would have to notify you. If they're going to reassign you outside when you're on the phone with them, telling them that you're fatigued and they don't give you an assignment at that point in time, or they give you an assignment and they want to change it, they're going to have to do proper reassignment procedures in either cars outside serial cockpit, or a first person phone call. Um, Again, know when you're contactable, know your responsibilities and never pick up the phone. Let them leave a voicemail and then get back to them if you know that you have an obligation to talk to them. Um, So thank you very much for listening. Please remember that if you have any timely issues that you need contract help with, contract admin, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Every single day of the week, except for major holidays, that should be your first go-to, and they can always forward you over to our office and contract compliance, and uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can, because remember, we're the line pilots, and we still have line schedules and uh, family matters as well. We, we strive to answer everything as quickly and as possible, and to help you out when you need the assistance. Thank you.
1: Thanks, guys. And. I, Thanks guys. Uh, I think you made your quiz too easy because a uh, majority of the pilots actually got the question, right? So go back
3: <laughs> no, everybody reads that's the contract. Chris, yeah. don't you know that?
1: That's awesome. That's Carl, hey, so I'm going to real quick go to negotiating. We're going to go to negotiating next. I do want to take one question that's in here though, because we were dealing with this today and the question is from Beth. It says there there's a new process to upload an image of our medical certificate to, to FOSS. Is this mandatory? Beth, we're looking at that. I talked with the aeromedical chair and our pilot occupational uh, health deputy chair. Today, we're we're researching that and, and expect some calm soon. Uh, with that, we're going to go to the negotiating. Hey,
2: Chris, I, I think Carl. Carl had something he wanted to add in there. Oh, I'm sorry, Carl. Go for it. Carl Jackson, Captain's Authority
1: Committee Chair.
8: Yeah, one one comment on the fatigue, and and they can correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. But when you call in fatigue, you you give them the time that you're ready. Uh, I look at it. Uh, they they're thinking ten hours. If you, I look at it as a 10 hours in the room, one hour to wind down, one hour to wind up. If you need meals, that's something additional. But when you call them, whatever time you give them, don't let them hang up on you. You should already know what flight you want to deadhead home on because when, when they take your time, the next question you should ask is, uh, do you have an assignment for me? And they'll say no because they don't think that quick. And well, then put me on this deadhead home is what I would do, technique only.
1: Thanks, Carl. Okay, negotiating committee, and I will make the disclaimer for Captain John Owens. I know his his voice was barely holding out, but what I'd like to do, I think, um, I, I think all of them are on here. I'd like each of them just to give a quick uh, 30 to 60 introduction, uh, a 60 second introduction of themselves, and then we'll go into the negotiating question. So John, if you can speak, uh, the floor is yours, and then just down the line.
16: Hey Chris, thank you very much. I'll do my best uh, for the membership. I apologize greatly for the uh, uh, situation with my, my voice here. I've been talking quite a bit since uh, I was honored to take this position on behalf of you and uh, I look forward to uh, uh, serving you guys in a way that uh, makes you proud of the results. Uh, you have my uh, you have my absolute promise there. You also have the absolute promise that I will be not applying any premium time. I will be focusing on nothing but uh, your best interest. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to the rest of my team. Thank you.
1: And, and let me say something just on behalf of you, John, since you did mention it. John was previously the, the uh, chair of our strategic planning committee. He was the deputy chair of COM. Um, he had a great deal of involvement with organizing our committees to analyze the um, Alaska T A in comparison to R T A, so he he has been tangentially and sometimes directly involved with a lot of this. So um, he he along with Chris, who's going to speak next, uh, I assume, is, is stepping into this role with a with a lot of um, um, uh, experience dealing with that. So Chris, over to you.
0: Chris Wachter negotiating, you ready?
1: All right, let's maybe bypass it. Yeah, oh, hold Chris, on, please. Chris, can you hear us now? Yep. yep, there we go. Okay,
17: apologies for that. Yeah, hey, this is uh, Chris Wachter, a uh, 737 uh, FO. Um, I was asked to uh, interview and remain on the negotiating committee. I've spent the last two years uh, on the committee as the uh, the junior guy in the committee for the past two years. Uh, going through the processes from um, our furlough uh, recovery processes through the COVID, LOAs, the uh, return to Section 6, and the work that we've done to try and get towards uh, a successful TA through our board and eventually to our membership. Uh, prior to that, I had done work uh, as a Compass sponsor doing contract compliance in D.C., doing Comm in D.C., and being a, a DDR for the, uh, the D.C. reps. Uh, My background, I'm a retired uh, military uh, pilot. Uh, I I flew the B-1 for 22 years and then worked some um, strategic planning and uh, speech writing, different roles, uh, working with NATO and with big air force. I'm gonna hand it over to the rest of the guys um, who have uh, a a wide variety of experience I'm really looking forward to working with.
18: Hey guys, Sean Clark. TWA uh, 96 hired TWA. I uh, worked for a number of years as the MEC grievance chairman there, Uh, uh, on and off the negotiating committee with them, and then uh, the merger committee, and ended up uh, I think the MEC vice chair. Um, Just want to say that uh, we got a great group of guys here with uh, numerous numerous skill sets. So. we're covered and uh, we're looking forward to uh, and motivated to begin caucusing with the uh, board and also to uh, get our tasking orders and get started uh, getting you guys a industry-leading contract. Thank you. Hey, good afternoon and, and good evening to the
4: membership. This is uh, Matt Stanley here. I came to American in 2018. I'm currently a first officer in DFW on the A320 in the International Division. My background, I, I came here after 20 years in the Air Force, uh, the last assignment of which I was doing high altitude flying in the U-2. Background education, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering, minor in math, and my MBA from uh, Indiana Kelly School uh, focused mostly on negotiations and labor relations. I, I, I'll tell you, we, I like a, what Sean said. We, we have a great team here, both uh, from our internal continuity partners here at APA and then uh, with on the new and... Uh, recently reelected members on the team. I'm super humbled to be a part of it. I'm highly motivated to uh, work at the direction of our board of directors to get us the best possible agreement. Thank you so much for your trust in us and we're looking forward to serving you.
3: Adam,
1: you're up. Hey, guys, this is uh, Adam Rutherford from uh, Boston. Um, I actually was uh, had to stay in Boston, work remotely with these guys this week because of some family issues. I'm actually at the hospital right now with my daughter. But uh, I'm really excited to uh, take this opportunity to negotiate on behalf of the 15,000-some-odd American Airlines pilots. I spent um, two and a half years doing association work at Envoy before I flowed through in 2020. I wore multiple, multiple hats, Uh, I was the negotiating committee chairman for some time and then the executive administrator and briefly a communication chair before flowing through, uh, worked on various negotiations, whether it's grievance settlements, pay raises, um, improvements to various quality of life. So I hope that I can bring that experience here and and help
18: get the best contract we can. Thanks. Hey, guys. uh, FO uh, Chris Henschel, uh, Philly 320. Married with uh, three kids and uh, I'm a commuter out of uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, education wise, MBA, flying wise, cargo, Republic Airlines and uh, Frontier coming from a US ULCC. Uh, and now at American, super excited to be here. Um, a little bit about my background, um, second career for me. So for me, my first career was uh, and continues to be on the side, some pharmaceutical work, and some venture capital work. So I have negotiated and executed uh, multiple deals to the tune of about uh, 10 plus billion dollars and worked at executive level uh, as a vice president, as well as an an executive consultant. So I'm really hoping that some of those skills can be brought to the table here and uh, get you guys uh, exactly what we need. Um, Lots of work to do. We're super excited to be here. I'm humbled to be part of this team and to have been uh, elected and nominated and voted in through the process through the board. Uh, Thank you for that. We'll now go to work for the uh, membership.
1: Hey, so thanks to all of you. And this really can be a a thankless job at at times, if not at all the time. So as we get into these questions here, I'm going to throw out a disclaimer, which is that, as we mentioned in the beginning, the board is meeting with the Negotiating Committee on the 6th and the 7th of December. Um, they're going to set the priorities and the way forward. Uh, they're going to set the uh, basically what they want the negotiating committee to do going forward. So there are some answers that are going to refer back to we await the direction of the board. So with that, I believe, based on John's voice, uh, Chris is probably going to be taking these. So first question, what timeline can we expect from the negotiating committee to be ready to connect with the company?
17: So uh, this this question kind of leads the fact that we're not ready to connect with the company, and I, don't th- I think that's imprecise. As, uh, as stated by John, as stated by myself, and obviously the continuity of our excellent negotiating department, we are at all times willing, able to engage with the company for any and all negotiations. However, the substance matter and where we're going from will come from the direction of the board. You've heard about the caucus from some of the board members. So uh, you know, it, it, our union president delivered to uh, AA that the TA was rejected. Um, that doesn't mean that we are done, we are reset, that we are gonna take months and months to move forward. We are constantly engaging, looking for avenues in order to improve our contract and get you something that the board says meets their tasking and will pass along to the membership.
1: Next, Chris. Next, it is the pilot group did not support many provisions in the TA? Does the previous agreement in those areas damage our attempts to achieve a comprehensive Section Six attempt? Additionally, would a mediator review those previous AIPs and say they hurt further attempts at negotiations? I don't know if Jim Clark is still on. This may be more of a Jim Clark question. Uh, Jim, are you available, or if not, then uh, Chris, you may be able to take this.
5: Yeah, yeah I'm still on, Chris. Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, yeah. Loud and clear. Thanks, Jim.
5: Okay, so. So there's two parts to the question. I guess the first part being what effect does the AIPs that comprise the the TA have on on future negotiations? And the answer to that is really, we don't know. We don't know what the company's position is gonna be as to any of those AIPs, Um, but that will be sorted out as soon as they get back to the table and and we'll see where we go from there. Um, With regard to any impact it might have on mediation down the line, it is um, it, it is really just too early to speculate on that uh, because we're nowhere near going to mediation at this point.
1: Thanks, Jim. Next question: uh, Can we address? Can we expect to address IT issues with potential completion dates addressed? Hey, this
17: is Chris. I'm going to try and guess at what they mean by IT issues, and I assume this means. Implementation and programming. If that's not what the the question meant, whoever wrote the question, go ahead and email us and let us know and we'll get you further information. But assuming that it's talking about implementation and programming, understand that whatever we do will come with an implementation timeline and a penalty or structure for what happens if the items that are agreed to by both parties are not implemented. Um, but understand that there are certain things that we may be asking for that require programming that the company is not just going to program now prior to an agreement, um, just of their own volition. So there will be things that will be implemented immediately and can be done within the the uh, their current abilities. There are things that may take time for programming, and in the meantime, it may need manual processes to make sure that pilots get paid, et cetera, but those will be a subject of the negotiation and involved in whatever final product we pass along to the board and the membership.
1: Next question What specifically is being done to improve reserve lives in the next TA?
17: Really can't comment on this because I don't want to overpromise and I don't want to undercut what might be out there. If you have specific improvements that you are seeking, Uh, please pass that along to your board members. The negotiating committee has a very large portfolio of ideas and options for where we can make improvements in every aspect of the contract. But if you would like to give emphasis items, please contact your board members, send sound offs, and and we will look at them in that regard, and we will see if this is a subject of the upcoming caucus.
1: Excellent. Next, the TA that was voted down did not remove the 30-hour RO footprint. Did we not pursue trying to reduce the number?
17: So without getting into a thrash on what was in the uh, TA that was voted down, this absolutely has been a pursued and targeted goal of the negotiating committee. Uh, In the last iteration, many instances of the 30-hour RO were removed, but ultimately it did not meet uh, to the full level of tasking and with the with the downvoted ta we may expect additional guidance from the board members on where to go with this item all right are
1: we asking for positive space for commuters like delta
17: again uh, this one needs to go kick back to your board members to ask though i will inform that delta received a positive space uh, provision as a part of their COVID LOA, which I am to understand has expired. Um, but um, if this is, again, if this is a key item that you seek, please make sure that you're informing the board so they best are able to represent their membership when they come to the caucus.
1: that's my understanding as well, is that that was a temporary provision under Delta that has expired. They do not have permanent positive space. Uh, being the company rarely offers float vacations, why do we allow them to take summer vacation weeks? based on first round float.
17: So I won't speak to why or or how this was negotiated prior, but it's a function of what is in the JCBA. Uh, Obviously uh, how our vacations work and where the productivity is versus what our pilots are able to do, the number of vacation weeks, how the ratios are calculated are all subjects that we Discuss both internally and with the board in order to shape future asks. So um, we can definitely retake a look at this as well.
1: Annoy is offering 100,000 to new hires on day one with part 121 experience. We were offering 1,100 in signing bonuses. Shouldn't we be paid more than our wholly owned regionals?
17: Shouldn't we be paid more than our, our, our wholly owned regionals? Absolutely we should. And I hope that others will chime in on this one as well. We are the premier legacy airline, the largest airline in the world. I'm glad to see that uh, our regional partners are getting increases in pay because it speaks to the demand in the industry for pilots and of course, this is only just yet another bit of evidence that our pilots should be properly accommodated for that premier top tier level work that they do
1: is it true that flight attendants will be getting holiday pay now because of their me too clause did our green july work did our green july work benefit another employee group
17: yes they are also getting holiday pay I do not know if it is because of their quote, me too clause. They they negotiated the similar holiday days approximately two weeks after uh, the green July LOA was signed with the pilot group.
1: What can be done to increase credit in the upcoming contract? For example, Spirit gets 150% for all credit above 82. Frontier has 125% for credit above 82. Delta has 200% pink slips.
17: Again, I'm gonna have to assume on what the pilot meant. I think that they mean premium pay, not credit. But um, if they mean credit, again, circle back in in emails and we'll get better clarification. If you're talking about premium structures or higher pay once they go above 82 hours credit or higher pay at Frontier once they go above 82 hours credit, Delta pink slips, I don't know what exactly a pink slip is, Um, but each pilot group has their own structures for premium. We've talked with the company and negotiated different structures for premium for our pilots as well. Um, We can certainly look into these kind of structures. Again, talk to your board members and determine which way you best think it would help you and and have them inform that to our caucus.
1: I'm going to guess you're going to continue the trend here. Is there anything that can be done to improve conditions for new hire pilots? First year day has been rough, unable to credit above 76 hours a month. $90 an hour, no 401k contribution, the ULCCs and regionals provide as good or better conditions.
17: There are lots of things that can be done to improve. Absolutely. The question is, will those be passed as our negotiating goals? Are those goals consummate with the desires of our entire pilot group? And how much time do we want to spend in negotiating to, to pursue those interests? I'm not saying that any of those things is not important, but I sure think that it's a strong argument to a company that is looking to hire, I think what uh, Clint Early said, 2,000 pilots next year. When we're in a pilot deficit situation, perhaps the company might see some strong opportunities to figure out how to properly compensate American Airlines pilots so they can continue to hire the best pilots in the world.
1: Thanks, Chris. And I, I'm just going to, so that's the last question before we wrap up. But I did want to show one thing here where the comment that uh, new hires are, and I will quote, unable to credit above 76 hours a month. So uh, based on that, I wouldn't have looked at the N3. This is just a random poll from three days in November. It's the first, fifth, and sixth of November from DFW. Um, all personal information is redacted. But the stuff you see highlighted there, uh, anybody below a 12,681 seniority number, that's a, that's a pilot on probation. So everything you see circled there. Those are all pilots on probation who are very, and it's premium reserve, so it's above seventy-six hours. So, um, and I'm not saying this happens often, uh, but there, you know, there is ability to to not credit, but to be paid above that seventy-six hours a month. So, with that, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, we do have a couple questions left in the Q and A. We'll try to get to those before we uh, uh, shut this down here. But I know the negotiating committee is—they're uh, all jumping on planes to go home after being here for a week. Um, and uh, I've got a, a, a captain's dinner to get to. So thank you all for uh, for being here and for participating. Hey, John, I'm sorry, did you want to say something?
16: Yeah, I, I did, Chris, in case somebody's still available. To listen, I wanted, the one thing that I, I want to talk to you about with my bad voice is the implementation. Uh, We came out of a bankruptcy era agreement years ago and we still have a large list of unimplemented items. I am not going to deliver to this membership a contract that cannot be implemented and held to an implementation schedule and I want everybody to hear that loud and clear. We will deliver a contract that you will live under and that will be implemented uh, appropriately. Thank you, Chris.
1: Thanks, John. And with that, uh, thanks, everybody. And we will see you soon.